then Boom. we need like the auto tuned version of it. Auto tuned. Welcome to VHS Glow. This week, we are talking about G.I. Jane, 1997 film by Ridley Scott. And with me are MJ and Katie. Hi. Hello. (laughs) For this recap, normally I write them up. This time, we're going to try the VHS cover for G.I. Jane. It's got a few pictures from the movie. It's got one picture of Demi Moore doing the iconic one-arm push-up that she did in Letterman. And the back cover of this G.I. Jane VHS says screen megastar Demi Moore disclosure indecent proposal is in top form in this action-packed hit Moore stars as gutsy Lieutenant O'Neill the first woman ever given the opportunity to earn a place in the armed forces most highly skilled combat unit the elite Navy SEALs but the already brutal rigors of training camp turn into an unimaginable test of courage and determination once it becomes clear that no one powerful politicians top military brass or her male Navy SEAL teammates wants her to succeed. A critically acclaimed triumph directed by action hitmaker Ridley Scott, Alien, Thelma, and Louise. You'll cheer for G.I. Jane as this brave soldier proves she belongs among the best of the best. WBAI Radio New York calls it highly entertaining. LA Weekly calls it exciting. And NBC TV New York calls it the performance of her career. I'm so hyped for this one, Darcy, because this was the one that was on the list, right? I was like, we got to rewatch Bloodsport. And then I was like, also Big Trouble in Little China would be cool. Then MJ was like, Karate Kid was so meaningful to me. So we Mm -hmm. wanted to watch that. And G.I. Jane was the one you put on the list first. Yeah. And I was a little nervous to recommend it because it's a little different than the ones that were on our list to begin with, largely because it doesn't have martial arts. And it was the first one that was U.S. military focused. So I was like, I don't know what my friends are going to think about this, but I'm going to throw it out there as that's what I did watch. It's a conflicted, it meant something to me. It's not necessarily, oh, this is a very meaningful film and I want everyone to watch it. But it was meaningful in good ways and bad. It was formative for you, right? Yeah. Formative is a good word for that. So thanks for watching it, first of all. I appreciate it. Anytime. It was a delight. It also reminds me very much of Blockbuster Video, which I worked at when this came out. really? (laughs) Did you get it as a free rental from Blockbuster? I so did. Oh my god, that was so cool. How did you know that? Was this something we discussed or did you just know? No, I had assumed, because I never worked at a video store, but I feel like I knew or dated someone who did, and I thought they got free rentals. The same way that when I was working in a restaurant, I got a free lunch or whatever. They feed you on your shift. This was honestly one of the most amazing things about working there was that I worked there at the time that they were switching from VHS to DVDs. The way corporate would communicate with an individual store would just be the store manager would turn on the computer terminal and there would be like a daily message from corporate. Oh my god, that's fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, I love like- it. The daily message from corporate, no joke, one day was send an employee to buy a sledgehammer. What? Goggles. (laughs) 
And then it provided a list of all of the VHS films that we needed to collect and destroy oh and put God. in the dumpster oh to make God. room for DVDs. Oh my gosh. Which was a massive list. So what we actually did was went and bought garbage bags. I'm not kidding. Garbage bags. Black bags of VHS films. Most of them from the porn film section and the indie film section that didn't rent as much. Oh, that's so... That's like where that's Joe and I hung out. <laughs> we do. I loved it, but yeah, it wasn't the That's terrible. Yeah. So they just made you bash we all of those... We bagged all that off. They wanted pieces? us to destroy it, but we were like, heck no, I'm taking this home. I'm giving it to my best friend. We brought bags across the park lot to Starbucks employees who always oh, gave us like free Starbucks yes. drinks. So we're like, hey, the solidarity the between retail workers <laughs> is oh exactly, real. exactly. It was like, here's all of the B grade movies you could ever want on VHS. And that served as like insulation for my first studio apartment. I had a closet that was also my bedroom lined with VHS films. It's great. And G.I. Jane was one of them. I do wonder what the R factor of VHS movies happens to be. What do you mean? The art or R? Well, apparently, since I'm reading lots about home improvement these days, <laughs> uh, I think the R factor is how much insulation a certain material provides. It's not good. I'm going to actually not, say it's, not good. it's not good. Plastic okay. All right. well, is that's, not a good uh, insulator. No. <laughs> There's a lot of empty space inside of those cassettes, I think. Yeah. It's largely air. Isn't air a good insulator? Part of the reason wool sweaters are so warm is there's little air pockets that warm. And part of the reason cardboard has the same thing. Standing on cardboard is less in the Midwestern cold. It's not going to be as chilly as the ground itself. That's why you're supposed to layer partly in winter. I can just tell you that plastic is a no-go. It's a no-go. I wouldn't rent. (laughs) Okay. So MJ, do not line your attic (laughs) at your nose. Home in there, that. There we go. You know what? That's the advice that I needed. I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that was keeping that, you from the edge of insulating your new home VHS tapes. <laughs> that's right. So glad we had this talk. Going oh to that God. last blockbuster and just being like, give me all of your VHS because I need to insulate. <laughs> well, now what? I mean, attic. you'd have to like insulate with Blu-ray or something? Shards what, of Blu-ray. What could you even shards, get now? shards of Blu-ray. <laughs> that's my band name. How did you know? All right. Because <laughs> I'm in the band. I've been in the band the whole I time. Have, oh my God. That's right. <laughs> Shards of Blu-ray. Oh, yes. I like Daggers of laser discs. Like yes. Daggers of laser discs. That's going to be like if a podcast were to spring up to be our arch nemeses, that's what they would probably go by. They're kind of the Cobra Kai of our... What are we... <laughs> What's the are other Are we group? adherents of Miyagi Joe in this year podcast? I, oh, <laughs> oh. I don't know. Which one are we? I think the way I was raised was definitely Cobra Kai. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like, okay, Cobra Kai, they're framed as the villains. But honestly, I got a little bit of Cobra Kai in my practice. I have a real hawk energy to me, I feel. You do. I was also the first person at my high school to have a tattoo. I just went out and got the dragon on my back. I could see the aesthetic similarity, but he's pretty actually kind of evil so far. He broke his friend's arm. He did. But his friend like, deserved that's harsh. it. Oh my he god. Didn't? <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh amongst my god. monsters. <laughs> that's right. 
G.I. Jane, though, real blockbuster energy. Darcy, are you saying that you didn't watch this in the theaters? Because I really thought that this would yeah, be I don't a... Think I okay. didn't. You didn't? I feel like I did. I think... I wouldn't miss a really I don't think Scott I had anyone the to go see it with me. Was this I a did. summer blockbuster? This was the year, I believe, I remember watching in the theaters that year. Independence Day, I believe. I thought that was 95-ish. Was it? Was it? I was still in like middle school when that came out and it was a big deal. It was such a fun movie. Or I guess maybe that was 96. Who was in it that was hot as a teen beat girl? Andrew Keegan or somebody for Independence Day? What came out the same week as G.I. Jane? Well, I, I want to say the movie Mimic came out because I also remember watching Mimic in the theaters Mimic that summer. Was, yes. I want to rewatch that one. I haven't seen it since the theater in the 90s. Was that the one with uh, Mira Sorvino? Yeah. And it was a Guillermo del Toro movie. I know, which I'm like, what? Oh, and it had Josh Brolin. Also, Independence Day, I would rewatch again. We didn't have air conditioning, so we just went to the movie theater in the summer. Mm-hmm. That's how we stayed cool. I lived on Long Island, so it was either beach or movie theater, and those were our options for not sweating our asses off all summer long. <laughs> I think G.I. Jane was at least where I was living. I don't know that anyone else was even paying attention to it coming out. I was really into it because I was into the idea of joining the military at the time. I wanted to recommend it to people, but then I knew when I did, they wouldn't actually want to watch it. I vividly recall one of my high school friends having seen it and also liked it, and it was a moment of recognition. You too? Wow, yay, I'm not the only one. But I don't remember being advertised. I don't even know how I knew it was out. Recall that. I vividly remember the press junket for this. I remember. Oh, yeah. Demi Lovato, or not Demi Lovato, Demi Moore. <laughs> Demi Moore. Yeah. <laughs> Close Demi enough. Demi Lovato was probably getting born or something, but <laughs> Demi Moore on Letterman doing one arm push up. I didn't find the bit with the push up. I did rewatch the rest of the clip. It is a fully bizarre one because I guess at the time she had her head shaved and was capable of doing one arm push ups. Although maybe, I hope she still is. That would be amazing. Go, Demi. I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> No, it's really hard. (laughs) But at that point in time, when she had the look for G.I. Jane, she was actually promoting striptease. The clip with Letterman, there was, because she was still married to Bruce Willis at the time. So he did this striptease take. Bruce Willis in a bikini dragged up with a stripper pole. (laughs) Dave Letterman was in the audience. So that was a weird clip. Letterman was rubbing her head and he scooted his chair. It was so fucking disgusting. I don't recall it being that gross when I was a kid, but also didn't Letterman get me to? I have no doubt that that was probably highly inappropriate. Gonna totally have to seek it out. It was seven minutes of full cringe. It was so old. But it's on YouTube. <laughs> I admire your fortitude in suffering through that PR. Nate walked in because I was watching it on my phone. And he was like, what is that face you're making? Is something bad <laughs> happening? And I was like, it's something like, bad oh, happened in Well, MJ, so you saw G.I. Jane in the movie theater. So what was kind of your intro to this movie then? Kind of like Katie, I remember going to the movies in the summertime as a way to escape from the oppressive heat. I grew up in Detroit and there was this palatial movie theater that had just been built outside the city and it was done up in this crazy art deco style. It was so over the top, but it was pretty close to where I lived. So I just enjoyed going to the theater. And so I remember watching it in 1997 
again, just to escape from oppressive Michigan sun that everybody complains about. The release date was August 22nd. So that would have been the hottest part of summer. (laughs) The hottest part of summer. So yeah, I remember driving up to the theater in my Dodge Neon, my red Dodge Neon with CD player in the back listening to OK Computer because that had just come out at the time. Oh, that was such a good fucking album. It was such a good album. Radiohead has endured. It has endured. I'm just going to say that the thing from 97 that I feel has endured the most out of those two, OK Computer and G.I. Jane, I think hands down (laughs) is OK Computer. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I don't know why it was such a revelation. So much about the movie in 97 was, wait, can girls also do physical things? Can girls run? I don't know. Can girls climb walls? I'm not sure if they can do this. Let's make a movie and find out. Can girls do push? I mean, things that I think I just remember it seeming so risque is the wrong word. Feeling that it really had this air of rebelliousness and that they were really trying to push the envelope and that they were asking these very challenging questions about gender roles and essential differences between men and women. It just feels so revanchous. It feels like it's really just trapped in this point between second and third wave feminism. Absolutely. I just think about all of the amazing writing and thinking and movies and art that has come out since and just how disappointed I am in hindsight with G.I. Jane that I feel like there was an opportunity there. I feel like it was kind of a swing and a miss is my feeling watching it again. Can we compare and contrast like what were your impressions when you saw it in the theater, in the palatial theater? Also Darcy, when you saw it because it was meaningful to you and then compared to what we think it's about now. What are the some of those differences? So I'll just say a couple things. One thing that has struck me, and I hope we can talk about this, is what does it mean to really have power? Because it didn't occur to me at the time when I watched it, but Jordan O'Neill, this character, has to me what feels like substantially more power and authority than any of the SEALs do in her role as a military analyst, where she can literally pick where to drop missiles. So I think that that's one thing, that there is the sense that she's proving herself in a way. But in fact, in hindsight and watching it, it feels like she's reducing herself and she's giving up some measure of authority and control that she has. So I think that that's one aspect of it on rewatch occurred to me. So for instance, I forget who said this. I think it was in The Godfather and reminded me of this. There's a quote, a lawyer with a briefcase can steal a lot more than a hundred men with a gun. And to me, that feels like it encapsulates a lot of Jordan O'Neill character at the beginning. She's just hands down a better and more authoritative position than she is as a Navy SEAL. So that was something that I thought was really interesting. The other thing that I remember at the time feeling, I don't know why, but I thought it was inspiring and powerful, but there's this moment in the movie where Jordan O'Neill's character is like, suck my dick or something like that. Master Chief? Lieutenant? Seek life elsewhere. Suck my dick. And watching that again, I'm just like, wait, but it's not like you're saying, I have the power of the phallus too. The fact that they're imbuing that with just more power, that doesn't actually, in hindsight, seem at all interesting or useful. The entire movie is this weird mashup of second wave feminism and neoliberalism, because the conversations at the time really were around, do women have upper body strength to do military things? Can women actually have any measure of power in the workplace? 
this rather than what they had had in the 80s, which was that Holly Gennaro McLean, just yeah. shoulder pads in an office, but not CEO, not any real measure of power. So that was the level of discourse at the time. And mm-hmm. I also don't think we had the data-driven approach. The dot-com bubble was still bubbling, but there wasn't that geek chic thing hadn't happened yet. A data analyst did not have cultural cachet that it would now. That's right. But I think that that's what's so interesting. I think you're right that there was this authenticity associated with primal physical strength. Do women have this primal physical strength necessary to be authentically strong? And I think that what I find most dated about the movie is that that's even a question. We can talk about this more, but it's like what separates humans from animals is the ability to use tools and to use tools to enhance your power and to enhance what you can get done. And I feel like so much of the movie is about isolating people from their tools, isolating people from the things that they've relied on in service of revealing some authentic core of strength. To me, that feels really flawed in hindsight, that it's important, I think, that we as people are comfortable relying on our own inventions to help us become stronger and survive. And so in contrast, you have Demi Moore, who gets herself super buff and whatever, and then you have Sigourney Weaver in Alien, who dons this power suit to kill the alien queen, and which person is more authentically strong and brave and powerful to me. And it's clearly the person who uses the right tool for the right job and throws an alien queen outside of the airlock. You're team mech suit. I'm team. Exactly. I'm (laughs) 1 million percent team mech suit, team data, team computers, team... Okay, like, computer. No more <laughs> exactly. You're like, okay, computer. There's nothing especially authentic about the experience that Demi Moore is going through. That's my 2021 perspective on this. Darcy, it sounded like you wanted to say something. A rebuttal, please. My rebuttal is that I totally agree oh, with Oh, come on. That. No, just no just hold, hold on. There's a but. <laughs> yeah, but no, go for it. I'm not sure that I would put that on the movie more than I would put that on the military values because she in the movie they portray it as she does this for career advancement her argument is that and she has this conversation with her partner and that she also uses it again in her argument against senator Dehaven, where for her what pisses her off is that a senator is going to mess up her career for political gain and when asked why she would be interested in doing this she explicitly says she's just doing it for career advancement because one of the best ways to get promoted in the military is to have battle experience which I think is actually true, but this still is tied to power. Why should career advancement be completely tied to your ability to lift Viggo Mortensen out of Libya in a battle versus what you're saying, which is completely correct, the ability to figure out where people are, mm-hmm. where to strategically deploy your weapon, whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, yeah. I agree. Big she was more useful. Also, you could just toss him onto a stretcher and just haul him. You don't have to fireman carry everyone. No, you don't. Yeah. That's nonsense. And then we have to go back to, wasn't Gomer Pyle not exactly the buffest? There are plenty mm-hmm. of men in the military who could not lift the weight of Viggo Mortensen, but that didn't seem to be an issue. So there's a lot of flaws, but they're intertwined, I think, between the movie itself and the military itself. I don't think this movie, at the time, I thought it was more progressive 
than it is looking back at it now. I think for the time it was progressive though. The arguments in the 90s were women can be like men. There weren't any conversations about whether tying gender to power inherently was a good idea or whether there were more genders, which there have been throughout history, clearly. That was the state of the discourse. So it's weirdly powerful that famous white dude like Ridley Scott threw his weight behind that. At the same time, it seems very cash grabby to me. It was the commodification of feminism at the time. It's like what you're saying, how this was between certain waves of feminism. This movie, to me, watching it now, so much of the plot, I think, was actually based around she's not a lesbian, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> like actually oh hyper-reinforcing, yes. don't ask, don't tell, downplaying it. It used this pro, women can do it too, and they're just as good, if not better, reasoning, when really the issue was that they thought she was a lesbian. They were going to use that against her. She needed to prove she wasn't. She did have to quit for a while because she was accused of being a lesbian. Don't worry, she's not a lesbian. The audience knows because we've seen her in the bathtub with her partner, and she definitely definitely said, get your dick back in this tub. Her entire relationship, I think, was basically to write in the fact that she's not a lesbian, don't worry. And so now that when I rewatch this, I'm like, hmm. She was picked specifically for her feminine features. Do you remember that scene where the senator and her aides were trying to pick an appropriate candidate for this Mm -hmm. trial of getting a woman through? Because the deal between the Navy and between Senator and Bancroft, what was her name? DeHaven. 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 The whole deal between them was if you can prove that one woman can get through this then women can be eligible for all of the positions in the Navy and they will have their career advancement they could earn it. Does she say Bulldike or does she describe like she Butch some Dyke really or like transphobic like and homophobic yeah, language? Yeah, I remember it being pretty. Yes. I was like, oh. It's so interesting. The sort of archetypal woman that they're trying to pick is somebody who is very attractive, but also not too obviously strong, so to speak. And it does really remind me of the fur about inside the Olympics about Pastor Semenya or other people who are either potentially intersex or they're more toward the margins of distribution of strength and so forth for different genders. And what's so interesting about this, we only get one person. And so we're just going to try to pick the person who best somehow weirdly exemplifies what we as a society think are feminine traits, rather than just getting a whole range of people in doing this. We're just going to pick one. It just feels yeah, like-, like actual abilities. How do you make these decisions? What are they actually based on? Exactly. Also, the person that they pick, it's not like, oh, we're going to pick the most median average woman. They pick somebody who is exceptionally feminine so that they can prove, oh, well, even this very feminine person who is heterosexual can go through this. And so then they have this whole lesbian subplot. No, actually, she is not feminine at all. She is a lesbian, which is so strange. It's a very 90s notion of what a lesbian is, right? Mm. It, there's <laughs> only like one. In the, in the <laughs> yes. 90s. Exactly. She didn't shaved her head. She kind of has to. a, like, almost a soft butch vibe. She's built up her musculature. She shaved her head. She's not wearing any discernible makeup. I think it would have been more interesting if she had been a lesbian for this movie. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just like, this percent. movie could have gone there and then it would have
would have actually meant something because then her career would have been ruined, even though she was completely capable of doing her job because the military had some yeah. issues that it needed to work out. You're right. Still, one of the most interesting parts of this movie that is relevant is how gender, how these things are so caught up in what other people think you are. These people who are casting her as the woman yeah. to go through this, that they're like, we're literally going to try to construct this person. And that that also comes freighted with all of these expectations that have nothing to do with what she can or cannot do in and of herself, but are all of these projections that people put upon her at every stage. And I think that that still is a really interesting and relevant part of the movie. I think it's also really interesting that there's a very fine line between Jordan O'Neill, the character, and Demi Moore, the actor. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because she had to go through all of this. She did intense training. She had to stand in freezing water. And she was doing it at a time where there was this larger discussion culturally around women in the military. So she was, I don't know if fully intentionally, but she was taking a political stance with doing Mm -hmm. this role and with embodying doing all the physical work to get there. She was sort of like Linda Hamilton in Terminator, but also like... I know all of those pull-ups. It was just so incredible. They just didn't know about CrossFit then. CrossFit hadn't been (laughs) invented because it's way less impressive now because you're just like, I don't know. I've seen the CrossFit (laughs) games. Women clearly have upper body strength. All you have to do is be afforded the opportunity to work out Mm -hmm. a lot. Yes, (laughs) Yes, exactly. <laughs> You just have to like give them actual dumbbells. Well, and what's yeah. like also really interesting about strength is that leg strength is pretty comparable, I think, across both women and men. It's purely, I think, just some areas of upper body strength. But I did want to say on Demi Moore, the shaved head, I remember it kind of being a big deal for Demi Moore. Oh, yeah. Especially following Sinead O'Connor. I don't know if you remember in the 90s, Sinead O'Connor shaved her head. There was a lot of publicity about, oh, my God, she removed her luscious locks. It was that Mark of hot, compliant womanhood. Fun story. I somewhat recently mentioned Sinead O'Connor to coworkers and they didn't know who that was, nor did they know that she ripped a picture of the Pope up on Saturday Night Live and that was a big scandal. (laughs) And that's how I'm like, oh yeah, I'm kind of old, I guess. (laughs) But I didn't know Sinead O'Connor would disappear. She got blacklisted after the Pope ripping incident i think she her music wasn't i don't know she came out with that song that was no man's woman which was kind of mini popular for a minute and then after that i couldn't tell you what Sinead o'connor did didn't she have a weird religious she became a priest or something but it's not an officially recognized by the catholic church or something because you, like, you can't be a priest and a woman at the same time right not according to pope whatever whoever i'm sorry <laughs> mom and john dad paul. i don't even know the pope's <laughs> name now john paul ii i'm loyal to john paul ii forever and ever there was what ratzinger, yeah, ratzinger. ratzinger. and oh the red shoes pope. pope's name i'm sorry what is francis francis is the current pope Francis. Franny. <laughs> but I don't think Sinead O'Connor is a formally recognized priest, let alone Pope at this moment. Do you think the kids know about Enya? <laughs> I don't know. Not that Enya had a shaved head. Apparently she's just in some castle in England with a bunch of cats <laughs> and has retreated from society. Really? 
I'm glad she's still like doing her thing. We have a music league playlist at my work. So I got to pick the theme this week. And I seriously considered a playlist that's just based off of songs that remind you of the color aqua. Because I saw like that listed somewhere. And I was like, that sounds cool. And Enya immediately is what I thought of. I was like, when I think of music and aqua, I think Enya. You think of Orinoco flow. Exactly. Exactly. That is exactly it. Pure moods. Pure moods. Yeah. Pure moods. Oh, that's (sighs) fire. Those CDs were so good (laughs) so when I started out doing massage I had pure moods so when was Lilith Fair by the way because I feel like that was also sort of happening at the same time 97 to 99 so there you go so it was really the era of I mean it still is the era of white feminism but then particularly there was no concept of intersectionality the best you could hope for was you earn your place and lean in really hard and you're part of the system and there really are only men and women (laughs) right right exactly (laughs) When did the Michigan Women's Festival have its whole controversy? Was that a little bit later? That was definitely around then, like 1999. I felt at the time more represented than anything else I could find, which I sadly think is still kind of true just because it was even addressing expectations of women and femininity and masculinity and the military that I just I didn't see in movies before this. So in that sense, I related to it. But now looking back at it, I just see it reinforcing everything that was actually harmful to who I am, what we stand for, where we've gone in the last 20 years. It actually just seems incredibly oppressive looking back at it now. I'm just like, I can't even recommend it to people without huge disclaimers now. (laughs) Which is true of many, many action movies. It is two and a half hours long. Yeah, it's way too long. It covered a lot of ground. It was very dramatic. Do you remember that last scene, the camera work? I was just going to say that. (laughs) We got to figure out how to talk about the camera work in this film. (laughs) Yeah, it was like pre-Black Hawk Down cinema (laughs) verite, gritty, shaky cam. Once you pointed it out, I don't know which one of you actually mentioned it first, but someone did. And then I just could barely even watch the rest of the scene because it was actually making me feel motion sickness once I noticed how bad it was. Do you remember when the Blair Witch Project came out and it was making everybody motion sick and they put the printed dot matrix printer warnings on the door to be like... Oh my God, really? Watch out. You're gonna... Oh yeah, for theaters, when something's gonna cause motion sickness, I don't know if it's mandated anywhere, but as a courtesy at least, they put up warnings about take your Dramamine now (laughs) and you're in for a bumpy (laughs) ride. (laughs) That's right. Did we all see that in movie theaters? I really hope so. I saw that in a theater. Oh, yeah. Yes. Good. Good, good. I did work at Blockbuster when it came out on VHS, so I was still there at that time. And Blockbuster always made you wear buttons for promotional movies. And so I remember having, I kept this one for a long time. It was a button that said, welcome to the Blair Darcy Project. And I had to wear that at work. And I was kind of like, yeah, look at me in my blue and yellow polo shirt with this awesome button. <laughs> I'm so cool. So cool. The Blair Darcy Project. Blair Darcy. Oh, that's amazing. like, I, I wish I had that still. Now I kind of want that part of Navy SEAL training in G.I. Jane where they went to that survival, evasion, resistance, and escape thing to have become the Blair Witch Project. And they were just all (laughs) eaten by some swamp witch at the end of it. If it had been instead of Master Chief, uh, Swamp Witch instead, that would have been great. That would have been so much better. Because that was a rough... It's interesting watching it now. The actual climax of the movie, I think, is the crescendo of when they're in their final training and 
and mm-hmm. you know they have to extract Master Chief after shit yeah. goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the actual thing. But the emotional climax of the movie is really around Demi Moore O'Neill leading the squad, owning her power, and overcoming Master Chief, her primary antagonist, and yelling, suck my dick. So she fights back. Just grabbing the phallus, grabbing the totemic phallus, phallus and being like, I also can strap on male authority. Exactly. And then getting the respect of all of her peers. Right. Because she wasn't burned when she grabbed the phallus, as so many women are. (laughs) Just like in Big Trouble in Little China. (laughs) Yes. It was her sword of destiny. It was her sword of destiny. (laughs) (laughs) She survived the trial of the burning blade. Yes, exactly. Would you rather have to get through Hell Week on G.I. Jane or have to elevate yourself to touch that war? One million percent. They eat out garbage cans. I'm not about that life. Fuck it. Right. Yeah, that's very true. She like made, do you remember that? She made friends because she has a handful of spam or something and she shared it with the guy next to her. It seemed grueling. It's just interesting because it's like the emotional core and triumph of the movie. At the same time, for me, looking at it, I'm like, oh, this seems like really truly buying into your own oppression. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. When I saw it in the theaters for the first time, oh my gosh, she's recognized for having some special core of power and authority. She's authentic tough. She survived this ritual humiliation and abuse and has come out the end having proven herself that she did her night's vigil and she didn't get any special treatment. Far from it. It seemed like Master Chief was like had abusing her. her. Yeah, had it out. And she insisted. Every she step insisted. of the way she insisted. Yeah. She was like I'm just one of the trainees. I'm just one of the guys. She moved mm-hmm. her sleeping quarters to be in with them. Yeah. They freaked out about tampons at her. Tampons. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tampons. Sorry. Too bad they didn't have the team cup. The lesbian she was accused of fooling around with, Blondell, was the medic there. And she was really the only person who was kind to O'Neill the entire Mm. time. But in one of those exchanges, it's also mentioned that O'Neill has stopped menstruating, which seems to be desirable in this world, right? Because that's peak athletic performance. When I was doing MMA, I lost my period. You just get too low in body fat. Yeah, one thing that kind of stood out to me was they never addressed the sports bra issue. That was really on my mind. (laughs) at the time that I was I still have big boobs I had bigger boobs then we'll leave it there I don't mind that being in a podcast but that was a legit concern I was like how do you deal with that in boot camp or in the military wait in boob camp boob camp (laughs) I was legit worried about crawling through like wire situations and I was like that's a major disadvantage to have big boobs in this situation do they account for this what do you do especially for her and I don't feel this movie addressed my concerns clearly implants right too so that's really dangerous wait hers were I mean not in the worlds of the movie but I think to me has implants mid to late 90s it was having a moment around nipples being very attractive so a lot of actors Demi Moore was mine Jennifer Aniston renowned for her nips whatever but like it like I as a person with breastuses mine don't do that mine didn't do that when I was a teenager or in my early 20s either I just don't see the way that your nipples go that way without implants I didn't notice the nipples in the movie but I did notice that there was a scene actually it's the scene where she's fighting with Vigo and he's throwing her around and she's tied to the chair and she's basically a mess. I definitely recall being like, she's not wearing a sports bra right now. And you could really tell 
because her boobs were kind of all over the place and she was running and it was just really obvious to me. And that's where I'm just like, come on, don't fail me here, movie. Don't fail me here. <laughs> like they would address this I'm in the Navy SEALs. I'm pretty wouldn't sure they? that the, yeah, the real <laughs> yeah. G.I. Jane would have Maybe worn not. a sports bra. I think she would have worn two. Sometimes yeah. you got a double, you know, you and double like up. she would have been prepared. She would yeah. have been prepared and she would have, I think maybe so. it would have been a plot point that she had a grenade or something. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you thought like, they uh, were tits. They were really <laughs> grenades. <laughs> I'm going you in. You need to write for Master Chief. <laughs> Nature's pocket. It's just also gender essentialist, right? Yeah, in the 90s, it's so there were only men, there were only women, and also yes. the ratio of sex to gender was one-to-one. I yes. don't think I philosophically believe that now. I don't know if I had considered it then. Girl power was marketed very aggressively, my demographic, because it was creating a culture of cool girls. In a lot of ways, Jordan O'Neill is a cool girl. She's good at her job. She's trying to do more. She's looking hot while she's doing it. She's straight. She's straight, thank God. (laughs) None of that secret lesbian stuff. We can't even talk about it when we know. It would have been so much more compelling if she was actually a lesbian. Mm -hmm. Or like genderqueer in some way. That would have been so much better. That would have been, yeah. These constructs we have where also what is considered masculine is the most powerful if femininity is a construct so then is masculinity and if what we consider to be sex is a spectrum what we consider to be gender is a spectrum i don't have a good and graceful way to say this but all of the trying to be a woman being like a man is just deeply pointless because again they're both constructs they're oppressive in different ways and it yeah. just doesn't seem like a good scene. Bad, bad scene all around. Why would O'Neill care, give two shits, these dudes who fucking tortured her? Literally, in Master Chief's case, he tied her up, beat the shit out of her, threatened her with rape in front of her squad, and were admiring that she went with it and was like, no, it's me, suck my dick. And then they have this happy scene at the bar afterwards because Master Chief has respect for her now as the ultimate cool girl, which is as strong as a man, but made like a woman. (laughs) I didn't want to see them have respect for her. I wanted them to have shame for themselves. (laughs) That's what I wanted. Yeah. Why does she have to be more of a badass? Why can't they just go to therapy? (laughs) Right. Why does she have to earn a place in the military? Why can't we demilitarize our world? (laughs) Or she could have just stayed where she was more useful and happy and they could have just promoted her appropriately without having to have this different battle experience as though her work wasn't valuable to begin with. Yeah, exactly. And what was also kind of interesting, I thought boot camp is kind of human obedience school. One way of motivating dudes, it's to call them women to insult their masculinity. And so there's this interesting threat. Now you have a woman who is super strong and super capable and able to go through this. Are you going to be able to preserve your obedience school tricks throughout this? Or is she going to challenge your weirdly essentialist reading of sex, but also this perversion or stretching of it so as to ostracize or exclude people who don't meet these standards as a way of motivating them to do things beyond what they would be naturally inclined to do, such as stay up for 20 hours for seven days in a row or something like that. And so it's just so interesting that part of the movie is like, oh, no, women aren't going to be a threat to your obedience school tricks. You can still insult dudes and call them pussies and you can still threaten their masculinity. And you can totally do that even with a woman because she will buy 
buy into this. And it's just so bizarre. <laughs> that was the outcome was, yeah, no, please insult me and insult like dudes for being too feminine, because I will also go along with that. You can still preserve your totems of masculinity as motivational tools. Yeah. And it's tokenizing. Yeah. And it's tokenizing. We have a couple yeah. of tokens. Right. A few. Even. Yeah. A few. Because yeah. we only see one woman who is a senator. We mm-hmm. only see O'Neill in this training. And yep. again, she's the first one undergoing any of these right. hardcore military training. And everything rides on her. Right. Her individual yep. Yep. achievement dictates the success of all women. And then we have McCool, who is the single black man, oh, which right. is wild because so the military wild. aggressively recruits because there's that generational wealth gap. A lot of kids of color in high school wind up going into the military. They will pay for your education. I don't want to overgeneralize and be like, oh, these poor minority children. But there is a real wealth gap and they do prey upon black kids. It didn't feel like it reflected the real demographics of the military at all. At all. No. Individual achievement as a way to open it up for other people, but also really only being about the individual and not being about uplifting anyone else. There's not solidarity in this movie. No. It was a really fake solidarity. Going back to McCool, his character was basically her one ally and was basically like implying that I took it as kind of like his role was implying that black people made it in the military and she's just early. She's just ahead of her time when it's kind of like there's still major issues. (laughs) This was not some linear progressive thing where black people made it and now it's time for white women. And that's kind of how I feel like it was portrayed in the movie. It was weird. He pretty directly equates her experience to the experience of being a black man. And that is not, I don't Mm. think that's true. Those are false. (laughs) equivalencies. I think we still see a ton of that today and a lot of the discourse my corner of online is around this and the falsely equating experiences between different minoritized identities. He wouldn't have said that. Not real. No. (laughs) So we, like he is... That was like a white person definitely wrote that. (laughs) White people did write. It was two white people that wrote this movie. One of them was a woman. Okay. Or is, I mean... She she still exists in the world. She still exists. (laughs) Excellent. I think it's that when we mentioned neoliberalism earlier, that's the flattening effect of that, where you really only have one identity that's in question at any one time. And then there's false equivalencies, you know? Yeah. Your experience (laughs) as a white woman is the same as the experience of a black man, which is not, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Inaccurate. <laughs> that could be its own episode to dissect that mm-hmm. part of this movie. I would need a doctorate in something for that. I took one <laughs> gender studies class <laughs> and one African studies one. So like not even actually any. We need guest speakers. If you know about this and want to talk to us about it. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Please hit us up. The other point of lack of solidarity, there are a few. There's that moment with McCool. There's also, we talked about this earlier, the selection process. So the senator and her cronies selecting the most feminine and appropriate. So there's a lack of solidarity there because they really are saying cruel and horrible things about these women who are candidates on the basis of their appearance, their perceived cisness, their sexual orientation, all of these. So that's a lack of solidarity. You've got 
this powerful woman who's using another woman for her own ends in this really amoral way. It's just so gross. And then the other one is actually regarding Blondell, the known lesbian in the Don't Ask, Don't Tell era. I don't think she is a lesbian because she was still a part of the military. I mean, it was she Don't not, Ask, Don't She might have been implied. It was yeah. heavily implied that she was, that they were mini little fairing on the beach in that scene. They don't say it, they but don't. I don't know if we're supposed to think she is or isn't. I thought she was because given the choice to believe a character is queer versus straight, I'm always going to believe that they're queer. <laughs> yeah, I like that reason. Intel evidence contradicts that in some way. So I believe that Blondell was lesbian. I believe that she had to be closeted in her career, which is very stressful and terrible. And then when they tried to say that O'Neill was also a lesbian and implied that, you know, Blondell and O'Neill were involved, O'Neill was just like, don't worry about it. It's about me. So she completely disregarded the very real consequences that Blondell would have had had she been discovered to be a lesbian serving in the military. That's a lack of solidarity between a straight woman and a queer woman. I did not think of Blundell as a lesbian, so that's a different take. I will think about that. I honestly did not think of her that way. They're doing some exercise in a field or something, and the who's that guy that played Jesus in Passion of the Christ? He was in this. Well, that's what I call him, the guy who played Jesus. In the guy who played, so <laughs> that guy was name. calling out to Blondell in the Jeep and was just like, hey, and somebody was like, she doesn't play for your team, bro, or something like that. Oh, I might have missed that. I'll have to go find that. I'm always like, everyone's sapphic. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I'm kind of like, oh, cool. I definitely do think that scene where she comes out and says, don't worry, it's me thereafter. Yes, if Blundell is closeted, that is a very real concern and would not dismiss that. But I also think it was very clear that at that moment, O'Neill knew that she had been set up, that this was a political ploy. I don't remember exactly what in that conversation made that so clear, but that's where she knew it was the senator. Don't worry. I have to like go bang the bell now and make leave. I thought that was after it. So she knew she had gotten set up and then after she went back to her boyfriend Royce. She didn't know it was a senator but she knew she got yes, that they were after That her. is true. Yeah. The whole reason the film is called G.I. Jane is that was her cute little moniker uh, in the media. Of course. Wait what? I missed that too. There were press guides. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look like I have a different attention style. style. You do. <laughs> yeah I do remember it now. In the universe of the movie when people found out oh here's this woman who's going through Navy SEAL training. They called her G.I. Jane. Wasn't there a woman who could not pass the test, but it was around the same era, maybe even slightly earlier, and she was unable to make the grade, but there was Are a lot of... about the no, Citadel in the real or world. VMI? Yeah, there was some... I think it was VMI and Citadel, but there was the Citadel had just recently allowed women. It had previously been an all-male military university, mm-hmm. academy, whatever they're called, and they did allow women who then, of course, shortly thereafter were being harassed and it was like a whole ordeal. Is that what you're referring to or is it something I thought else? there was one specific woman who was trying out for something spicy. Not necessarily SEALs, but I don't know, Rangers or something and did not make it through, but she got a lot of media attention. At that time? Yeah, or slightly earlier. I don't know. Women weren't even allowed in combat until I'm pretty sure after this movie. I could be wrong. I'll have to do some research, but I thought that was more recent. One of my training partners was in Afghanistan 
man and she drove a Humvee. That was her job yeah. and that's what they could yeah. do. They couldn't do combat combat. Could be like support. Military support. Military support. Just like in a video game or a D&D campaign or whatever. <laughs> just, <laughs> that's right. Just make her the archer or the cleric. No front line. No women tanks here. Because America can't handle seeing women come back in body bags. That's the line. Yeah. I guess no woman really has yet to join the Navy SEALs, right? I'm I believe not sure. That that's true though, right? 20 years later. I think that they can apply. I don't know if anybody has actually gone through this selection process, but honestly, that's not something that I have kept up with. I have no desire. At all. <laughs> I'm just relying on a Google search. The first woman has made it through SEAL officer screening, and this was... 2019 on my birthday oh really 2019 but i don't know if they went through that actual training that's featured in the gi jane movie i think that they might have opted for a different program so i guess it is possible that we're still waiting for our gi jane 23 years later we haven't talked about dh lawrence i never saw a wild thing feel sorry for itself i never saw a wild thing sorry for itself a bird will fall frozen dead from a bow without ever having felt sorry for itself. <laughs> yeah, that part is short shorts. Yeah, that's right. And his short and, shorts. And his, like, nasally. It's just weird because they don't want anybody to be gay in this movie, but it feels like most, if not all mm-hmm. of them, are. Oh, yeah. Right? That's right. The guys are allowed to at least show what are considered feminine traits. It's not talked about. No one makes fun of Ego for, like, reciting poetry. Because he kicked the shit out of you. That, exactly. Or just <laughs> snipe you while you're going through the course. Oh, I hated that. I was not cool with that. I did like that he called out some of the teammates when he caught them. Although I don't like the way he did it because he focused on the word team mate he made her hyper visible yeah he kind of used her so much of his behavior through it was designed to make her hyper visible and even when she was winning his acceptance at the end it was still in a way where she was hyper visible where she rather than becoming his antagonist and this threat to his worldview he was viewing her as a pet instead it's this weird simultaneously she was teacher's pet and then also the only reason she was able to be teacher's pet was by proving herself to be one of the boys very pink power ranger (laughs) very Mm -hmm. very very cool girl (laughs) exactly so I feel like all three of us should try our best reading of the poem. Are you going to imitate Viggo Mortensen? No, I can't. I never saw a wild thing. Sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bow without ever having felt sorry for itself. Oh, that was so good. I was so touched. I can't beat that. Did you see the little tiny frozen bird falling with its mouth agape? Just very sp- frozen. <gasps> just really sparkly. Just like, like <gasps> <gasps> yes. <laughs> Katie, do you want to read it? I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself. D.H. Lawrence, R.I.P. Oh. (laughs) R.I.P. I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself. D.H. Lawrence. I'm picturing Madonna's Frozen a little bit. Remember that? That was also around that time. No. Oh, I don't know. Is that Ray of Light? It's actually a really good Ray video. Ray of Light, yeah. Yeah, it was that yeah. album. There we go.
So what do we think this means, though? I think it's really part of that whole movement where nature is the noble thing and humanity and modernity are not desirable and they're constraints. So the goal becomes to be free as an animal and not constrained by modern life. That's what I think this is about. I think that it's even when nature is a bummer, <laughs> it's still more desirable than being in society with other humans because that's really rough. So I think D.H. Lawrence was really, I'm a sad self-pitying son of a bitch. <laughs> that <her>. bird isn't. <laughs> that bird is a noble creature. But also I'm worried about that bird. I am so concerned they for that migrate. bird. Why yes. is that bird there getting frozen? There's something wrong with that bird. That's yeah, my take. It should have right. migrated or been in its little home. If humans are different from wild animals and wild animals have all of their instincts, why is this bird frozen on a bow, on a bow. and not vacationing in a warm place with its fellows? I admire that bird's character, I suppose. But also that bird is still dead. So it is a dead bird. Right? It's so did it win? Bird. Eh. It's an expert. <laughs> what do y'all think it means? So I don't know. I was hung up on sorry for itself. I mean, again, it's sort of anthropomorphizing. D.H. Lawrence is like, I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. Next question. How would you know? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Did you look at the bird's thought bubble? Did the bird peck out a sentence? <laughs> it was a, a bird in a webcomic. <laughs> yes, it was a bird in a webcomic. And so I was really hung up on what sorry for itself meant, where I kind of landed with that is maybe you shouldn't let yourself be limited by concern for yourself or for being hurt, that there's maybe this tendency to retreat to comfort or retreat to safety. And maybe this bird out there is going on a big bird adventure. Maybe this is a super courageous just Such brave movie, little bird way. what brave little toaster or what no big bird adventure whoa there's oh <laughs> big bird adventure oh, oh like yeah. big bird from yeah. sesame street yeah. oh my god yeah. i hope this is not a big bird <laughs> will drop bunch. frozen dead from a bow <laughs> oh god oh, god. That, oh would that would be... be terrible luckily there's backup because big birds in different countries apparently have different names and colors yeah. and beaks oh and oh well that's good now <laughs> just having visions of big bird falling off of a tree branch <laughs> What was it doing up there? How much do you think Big Bird weighs? Big Bird's, big bird's a, a, a chalky bird. bird. Big Bird's chonky a chalky bird. bird. Like, yeah. Big like bird's just nine like feet tall. Nine feet tall. Full of a person. <laughs> yes. That's right. That beak is 100 pounds alone. I don't know. <laughs> solid gold beak in the context of seals training especially since so much of it is people giving up they give up mm -hmm. on themselves it's sort of don't give up on yourself it's E.H. Lawrence trying to give you a pep talk he's like hey push yourself super hard but also worried about this pep talk because it seems like very dark <laughs> pep talk within the context of the movie it's absolutely about pushing yourself because part of the reason when you're exerting mental fortitude how you can get through it is to not feel bad for yourself you accept mm -hmm. the reality tiny little steps I think for D.H. Lawrence it was much more around navel gazing. I think it was much more around uh, the wild things of this world don't mm. even consider themselves. They are integrated with nature. They are as they are. They are free to love as they do and to do the things that they do. And that is inherently noble and something to strive for. So I don't think it was pushing yourself beyond these human concerns. I think it was about not having human concerns at all. No, that makes sense. There's this element of self-doubt. That meta-consideration of oneself. Meta 
consideration. That wild things don't have. Wild things don't have a sense of self. They will die before they have a sense of self. That's pretty much what I think. Oh, gosh. Exhorting a woman to have no sense of self is... Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I know. A little too on the nose there, D.H. Lawrence. What I want this poem to be is don't let your sense of self get in the way. Mm-hmm. Don't let your sense of self or propriety, don't let concern for yourself stop you from doing whatever it is you're driven to do. But it feels like weirdly feeds backwards on itself. It's paradoxical. It's very paradoxical. Because yeah. in order to have individual achievement, you have to lose your sense of self mm-hmm. entirely. And of course, this bird isn't really achieving much other than dying. Living. Frozen. Look, to die, you have to live first. So they're inextricably entwined. It's almost live dying. <laughs> exhilarating (laughs) exhilarating oh my gosh this poem leaves me wanting more i want to know what happened before the bird died dropped dead from the back i think this is about teamwork you think this is about teamwork oh tell me more i do because exactly it's a bird without its flock and it's still not thinking of itself i think that's at least why master chief is choosing it i don't know if that's what dh lawrence Mm. meant but that's why i thought he was bringing it up because this bird is clearly not well it does freeze to death it is accepting its reality its flock who knows what's up with its flock it's not even mentioned the bird is not about the bird i thought the implication was the bird is about the flock and maybe it is sick maybe it is dying so its purpose then is to not hold back its flock jesus (laughs) it's gonna do what it needs to do darker than i thought it was (laughs) he brings it up at moments i think that are kind of about teamwork Mm -hmm. and about your role on this buds team or whatever they're called when does he recite it right it's when they first get at the beginning and then at the end and then at the end after they've received honors for that Mm. last exercise that turned into a rescue mission of him he was the bird in that moment ready to just die frozen on his libyan bow he was gonna sacrifice himself (laughs) Frozen in Libya. His flock came back. Frozen in Libya. That's where he was trapped and captured or whatever. But he wasn't about to feel sorry for himself. What was everybody's final thoughts on this? I still like it, but it's because it brings me back to a certain time and place in my life. I definitely see lots of problems with it. Would not recommend it to people nowadays without a lot of disclaimers. And I find it interesting that it's a Ridley Scott film (laughs) in general. Yeah, I didn't realize Just kind of one I forget is part of his filmography. What makes it interesting about it being a Ridley Scott in particular? Well, one, it kind of seems like it's a white feminist film. So the fact that it's directed by a white man in general, it just seems like an odd mixture to me. But also it just didn't seem like his other films, which I'm of course blanking on what they even are now. But every time I look at his list, I'm always just like, oh, it's so weird. The G.I. Jane is on there. <laughs> I haven't dissected that thought that well. Interesting. Why? What are you thinking about it? Oh, no, I just hadn't considered that because I see it as pretty related to Alien and Aliens. I don't think it's that different from Gladiator. I'm trying mm. to think of other Ridley Scott ones. Could see that. Because <laughs> it's all about pushing to the limit. What do you think of the movie, yeah. MJ? What's your take? How many fists? How many <laughs> Just fists? Just kidding. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There's no fist. One fist wrapped in barbed wire. No, I don't know. <laughs> movie has two phalluses. No. <laughs> Ringing one bell. <laughs> ringing, right. It's like ringing one bell. Two phalluses, one bell. Two phalluses, one, <laughs> one bell. Right. Ringing one bell with a phallus. Oh, my God. Well, what did I learn? I learned that women can inflict violence, too, and that they can also go to obedience school. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just 
<laughs> so many comments about that. Okay, sorry, I take it back. I think that I really learned, made me really think about power and what it means to sort of be authentically strong. And I thought that that was still super interesting and relevant. And I thought that the participation of everybody in the construction of each other's gender was also really interesting. And how open everybody was to that. They're just like, yeah, sure, you can threaten my masculinity. And that's fine in the context of training that's sort of expected or the way the senator tried to basically pick this is what the feminine woman looks like. And then the media, of course, is represented. Is this person a real woman or not? And how that tied back to being a lesbian or being heterosexual. And so I thought it was still very interesting how it portrayed gender as, of course, a social construct, but literally not just society as a whole, but here are these specific people who are trying to enforce their own constructs upon different people in the movie. And so I thought that that was really interesting to observe. And also D.H. Lawrence learned about that poem, which I hadn't really encountered outside of this movie. So that was special for me too. Always good to discover a new poem that you didn't know existed. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was fine. (laughs) The review of D.H. Lawrence's (laughs) Oh, it was fine. It was, it was fine. It was, it had words. <laughs> they made sense together until you scratched the surface and then it was all just turtles. Never saw a bird fall frozen from a turtle's back onto another turtle because it was turtles all the way down. For me, I don't know if I've necessarily rewatched this. I do like that we did watch it mm-hmm. because I appreciate it as an unintentionally searing indictment of white feminism <laughs> yes. in so many ways. It just has women throwing yeah. each other under the bus it has white women's place in the workplace at the forefront Mm -hmm. and the ambition of climbing to the top of existing systems rather than liberating anyone (laughs) including yourself from those systems so I appreciate it from that angle it's a very good what not to do I also like some of the gender implications and I like to reimagine it like to think what if O'Neill was really queer what if O'Neill was non-binary what would the movie have been if it wasn't so invested in existing military industrial (laughs) complexes and the second waiver drive to get a seat at the table rather than flipping the motherfucker over. I also enjoyed learning about D.H. Lawrence. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and his poetry. I had only ever read, oh, what was that short story about the rocking horse? Do you remember that one? Did you ever have to read it in high school or college? Don't remember it if I did. Don't remember it if I did. The rocking horse winner. It's a weird story. I do want to explore more of D.H. Lawrence. What is he famous for? He's famous for Lady Chatterley's lover. He was all about free love. He stole an older woman who was already married. What do you mean by stole? She was married to somebody and he was like hey hey and they ran off together he was all about free love there was a lot of again that reaction to the industrial revolution at that time that backlash towards it I think that had spanned quite some time though because you could see the questioning of man's place in the cosmos and whether science makes us gods in Frankenstein and then you can see kind of the naturalism he was in the same crew as Ezra Pound and T.S. Eliot and so forth yeah for me it's interesting 
interesting because he was notoriously anti-military. A lot of oh, people really? in the movement. Yeah. <laughs> That's he didn't, awesome. you know, because the natural world, if you love that and if you love free love in particular, the military isn't about that. It's about conscripting you into service to die for the purposes of a nation state that in the natural world does not exist. To me, D.H. Lawrence sounds like the kind of cult leader that Darcy, I feel like you could get behind. I think you're right. He called himself a pansy. Yeah, he was... Like the flower okay. <laughs> is how it describes it. It's like, oh. He also had intense friendships with other men that mm, have been perceived. Yeah. He was a bicurious boy. There's some stuff to dig into there. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't ring the bell on this one. We... <laughs> Yes, that's right. It was interesting. Honestly, I think though I enjoyed our discussion of it more than I enjoyed the the actual film, but it it did lead to a lot of really interesting discussion and discovery. So we got to do the outro. We got to be subscribe, leave us a review. I love you. Please pay attention to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Notice me, senpai. Thank you for listening to this episode of VHS Glow, where we discuss G.I. Jane. This was Darcy and... MJ and Katie. Please subscribe and leave us a damn review if it left a glow in your heart. You spent your last hour listening to VHS Glow. I'm MJ. With me have been Darcy and Katie. And we encourage you to check out our other episodes. And if the spirit moves you to subscribe. And it's going to ring your bell even more than... How many bells do we give? G-I-G? How many bells do we get? Yeah, three. Obviously, like I get it. I get. I give it one angry bell. One angry bell. Did you hit it with a bat? Yeah, because I don't love it. I mean, I, if I loved it, it would be the like I'm quitting. Bang! bang I give bang, it bang, bang, one bang. bell ring with my lesbian softball bat. <laughs> Uh, I love that. I give it one pair of short shorts and a poem. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Excellent. Bye. Bye. VHS Glow. It's sexy.